0: Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show Podcast. On this episode, we get you ready for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers game. In Edmonton, Winston Rose, defensive back, who leads the league in interceptions. We'll tell you how they plan to shut down Trevor Harris. Also, who did donuts on the St. Patel Mustangs field at the Winnipeg Rifles chair? Come on! Jordy Wilson, head coach of the Rifles. He's not happy about it. Why would he be? He explains what they plan to do about it. And finally, we talk to a Manitoba teen who's a rower and a cancer survivor who just participated in At the Western Canada Summer Games, that's on the podcast. Just over 48 hours away from the start of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers showdown in Edmonton against the Eskimos. And as per usual, 48-hour preview. We're joined by a member of the Blue Bombers. And tonight it is Winston Rose. Winston, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. How have your preparations been this week, after playing at home a couple weeks, is it a little bit different going back out on the road?
1: Uh, no, I don't think. I don't think so. I don't, I don't feel like the guys believe so. Um, we just been pep- uh, preparing like e- any other week, um, just uh, focus on ourselves, just playing relentless, and just playing a clean football game.
0: And you're going to be doing it against one of the better teams in the CFL in Edmonton. They haven't lost at home yet. And they have one of the best offenses, Trevor Harris. So, how important is it to maybe put pressure on Trevor Harris this week to make his life a little more miserable than it's been the first nine games of the season for him?
1: Uh, it's, it's, it's one of our, it's, it's a key it's a key in the game um, that we uh, that we expect to. I mean, I feel like any other week, we we always want to put pressure on the quarterback to write him up. And uh, Trevor, he experienced so. He's a, he's a veteran quarterback and he's very accurate and his stats speaks for itself so he has only two interceptions so we definitely want to put some pressure on him so he can you know get off his game.
0: What else does Edmonton's offense do well in your opinion? Uh, they move around the uh,
1: receivers uh, they like I said Trevor Berry he experienced so he knows the defense he knows how to read defense so he knows where the hole the key holes in the weak spot is, weak spots. So and he know the he knows his system on like the offensive scheme. So just him dissecting the defense, um, that's that's one of the things um Edmonton is um is like an advantage for them and his and his film study. So we just gotta just do play our game and just, you know, go out there and do what we do.
0: And they also have one of the busiest running backs in the CFL, and CJ Gable. So, how does he lend a different flair to their offense? Say it again. CJ Gable, how does he, how is the he important in their offensive attack?
1: Uh, yeah, CJ Gable a, a power back. Um, he could do it all, uh, catch the ball out, out the back too. So, we just got to contain him and just uh, keep him in a box. So, yeah.
0: Now, on the offensive side of the ball, obviously a lot of talk this week has been about Matt Nichols and his status going forward. The team, I imagine, has no problem believing in Chris Strebler for Friday night and going forward.
1: Of course. Uh, we, we, believe in, we believe in Chris. Keep a pair week, so We're we going to ride with him.
0: And in terms of the whole first-place battle thing, I think we've heard enough from Mike O'Shea to know that Every game is looked at the same by the players, so I imagine you'll, you'll agree with that sentiment.
1: Of course, I mean they were saying the same thing last week. So, I mean uh, with Calgary, not last week, but with, with Calgary, so uh, we take every game. We take every game like we like it's a playoff game or just a championship game. Right.
0: <laughs> Six interceptions in nine games this year. Is that more than you could have ever imagined? Yeah,
1: I I, I expect this so early, but. It's just, uh, this a testament to my hard work and my, uh, to my teammates and my coaches, uh, just believing in me and just putting me in the right position and just going out there and do what I do.
0: How does having players like Willie Jefferson, Adam Big Hill, as part of your defense make your job easier?
1: Man, them players right there, they uh, game changers. Uh, uh, Willie, he just you know add pressure. You know the quarterback is just. You know, just rattle, just just looking at him out there, six five, and you know, big Biggie, you know, the what defensive player of the year, you know, he just like I said, another key uh, key veteran experience, and just having him out there, and just knowing the defense is making a whole lot easier for me because we be talking too, so he he can call out a play before it happens. So having guys like them on the team and just having other other players too, just you know, giving that effort, just making it a whole lot easier for everybody.
0: And how about the impact special teams has had for your team this year?
1: Yeah, special teams. A, hey, I feel like we playing complementary football. Offense, defense, special teams. We all feeding off each other. You know, we will have a game where special teams will start off with a kickoff return and just spark it, or we will have like a return, two two punt return. So special teams always is, is is just like an offensive play, defensive play. Like it's, it's no there's no plays off with special teams.
0: And how much do you feed off that when there's a big play on offense, a big play on special teams as you get back on the field? How much does that energize your unit? Uh,
1: Yeah, I feel like just a big play is energizes the whole team. Not just my unit. Um, The whole team is just, like I said, complimentary football. We just feed off each other.
0: And how have you enjoyed playing in Winnipeg through nine games? I'm loving it. I'm loving Winnipeg. (laughs) I'm loving the fans,
1: loving the players, loving the coaches. Uh, Yeah.
0: Well, Winston, we wish you the best of luck come Friday night in Edmonton. Thanks for joining me on the show, and we'll talk to you later. Oh,
1: thank you, Chris. Have a good
0: night. So I go online this afternoon, and I see that someone has done donuts on the St. Vital Mustangs field in southeast Winnipeg. It's all torn up. Why do people suck? Well, Winnipeg Rifles also practice and play there. So I called up Jordy Wilson, who posted these pictures online to ask him how he came across the damage.
2: Mm, 7.15 this morning. I actually went over there because, you know, finally we got some rain. We've been watering it through the river in this big farmer cannon we have, but it's been hard to keep up with it because it's been so dry. And we had that rain on, think, on Monday night. So I was going to go cut the grass this morning at 7.15. And uh, I kind of came around the corner. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was just like, oh. So anyways, I got out of my truck and, walked over and felt sick to my stomach uh angry sad disappointed disillusioned whatever term you want to use um it was very upsetting and then uh yeah so then from there I phoned uh, Craig Baczynski who's our the president of uh, Mustangs and uh he coaches with me at the rifles as well And and I was like oh my god like what are we supposed to do and he's like well he tried you know he called the city and like I say, it's whatever time it is now, that we're trying to hopefully get it patched up so that it can be at least practicable, so they can put some soil in there and roll it so it's safe, because right now we couldn't practice on it. I mean, in our field is, we just redid it um, this spring, so what happened, it's not a full regulation field, it's only like 85 yards long, it's got a 20-yard end zone, but it had been, you know, they put a bunch of topsoil in, they reseeded it, and between like we put when I say we the rifles put ten thousand dollars in and the Mustangs is we spent twenty grand on this thing to get it kind of up and rolling and now it's got major damage to it so now we're trying to overcome this basically so I'm trying to find out what we're gonna do for practice this evening so this is my next problem
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what what how much of the field is affected by this damage
2: well this is this is the problem like so it's eighty five yards it basically went directly into the middle of the field and did don't, like four or five donuts. So the problem is on either side of the donuts, I've got about, let's just say 25 yards to work with. So the problem is I got 80 players on my team, right? So how do we run past Skelly properly tonight? How do we run 12 on 12? I mean, it just, it impedes you can't even run a practice properly on this thing. So it'd be one thing if we were 12 years old and they're just out there practicing some stuff because they don't need a lot of room. But when you got 80 dudes out there that are 18 to 22 years old, that's a problem. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. And the problem is St. Vitale's got nine teams themselves, and they got their two fields, and I don't know, we might have to go later tonight or we might have to go find another place to practice. I'm not really sure yet.
0: Have you done any forensic work on the tire tracks?
2: <laughs>
0: well, you know, it's
2: interesting. and I don't know if there's any validity to this or not, but um, – the your family used to own that property, and I guess they sold to the city at one point, but there's a, a bench that they've got right adjacent to our field, and they have a nice view of the river, and their family members come there quite often and, you know, reflect on life, and I guess probably think of their grandparents and their parents, et cetera. Anyways, one of the family members was talking uh, to Craig Baczynski, my coach and the president, St. Vitale, and they said that there's been a black truck that's lurking in that parking lot, like there's the old boat launch, the city boat launch there, and this truck is cut the lock that goes down to the bow launch a couple of times. And I guess this guy was watching them. They were snooping around how to get onto the field um, the other day. And I don't know. Again, I have no proof that it was them or who this person is. I don't even know. But it appears as though, it, looking at the tire tracks, it looks like it was a truck. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just it's very sad and disappointing. I mean, I, you know, the thing is someone out there knows because if it's a young person, which again, I'm making an assumption it is, but if it's a young person, they're probably gone and told their buddies. Oh yeah, man, I went and did some donuts and saved the field." You know, like so people, someone knows out there that someone did this. Now, hopefully they do the right thing and contact me. And it just so happens that one of my coaches is also a city Winnipeg police officer. So, you know, maybe we can get this guy. And the thing is, I don't want to see you know, I don't have to arrest the guy or nothing, but the retribution should be you're paying for the cost of repairing the field and you're doing the work under the supervision of a landscape company because it's just, it's so stupid. It really
0: is. And all of you can do is speculate, but the theory is just someone just doing this for the hell of it, right?
2: Basically. Yeah. And they, what they did is there's a chain. Cause what happens is we cut our field, but there's a whole bunch of grass around it, Right. So the city has their big tractor with uh their real mower, they pull behind them. So what happens is they've had to take some of the poles out and they put a chain fence that's got a lock on it, right? And that's how they get their real mowers in there. So what happened is the guy, I guess, took bolt cutters or whatever and snapped a lock last night and then drove his truck in there and did this. So, yeah, I guess it's it's just, you know, it's just disheartening. And I mean, like I work with young people all the time. I mean, that's where we're coaching and I'm a teacher as well. And, you know, like I say, 99.9% of the young people out there, they're great. But it's, you know, there's 0.1% of ding-dongs
0: that are out there.
2: I don't know what their kick is about doing something like that. It's just senseless vandalism. It truly is. Uh,
0: While I have you here, how do you think your uh, first game went against Saskatoon? Obviously, you didn't get the win, 34-20 game. But how do you feel your your guys played?
2: Well, you know, I I would say this. You know, after watching – like, honestly, after watching the tape, I'm more angry than I was when I watched it live. Because – and I really believe this – that. The better team lost, but the smarter team won. We made, well, I mean, we made some stupid errors from penalties to, think about this, we had seven turnovers, we threw four interceptions and three fumbles, right? So what's the chances of beating a team at any level of football when you do that? And let alone the fact is, it was really, and it was, it was a one to two score game the entire game. With the volume of turnovers we had, they should have pounded us, and they didn't. Um, So... Like I know we're there, but the problem is this, is I was saying to the players, I was mad yesterday about it, is that I don't want we're not in this to be competitive. We're not in this to be 500. We're not in this to win the playoffs. We're in this to be national champions. And if you want to be national champions, you got to be smarter than what we did in that game. And you need to punish those guys because they should have been going home with their tail between their legs. They shouldn't have been going home laughing. And that's the part that really ticks me
0: off. Right, but there are some positives to take out of it.
2: For sure. I mean, okay, there's always pauses, but, you know, I mean, in the sense that our offense and defense, I, I know, like, I'm not questioning their effort. Their effort was good. I, I question the effort on our special teams. I didn't like the way our special teams performed, but the effort was excellent on offense and defense. It's just that we've got to clean up some mental errors, and I believe we will this week, and uh, we'll move forward from here.
0: Well, Jordy, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me today. Hopefully this comes to a a resolution that is in your favor because it's unfortunate what's happened and hopefully it all gets resolved happily ever after.
2: That will be my hope too as well, Christian. Thank you for your interest and have a good night.
0: We've done a number of stories on athletes and coaches from Team Manitoba at the Western Canada Summer Games, recently wrapped up in Swift Current. We continue that trend tonight with Katie Searhouse, a 17-year-old rower who has also overcome cancer in her young life, she joins me now on the show. And Katie, let's start with your experience in Swift Current. How'd it go?
3: It was amazing. Yeah, it was really fun.
0: And uh, Team Manitoba, I understand, it pretty well in the water.
3: Yeah, actually, yeah, I think we had probably I want to say four silver medals and a lot of bronze medals. Yeah, so well, we did pretty good.
0: Now, how long have you been a rower?
3: I've been rowing for. Three years. This is my third summer, so like two and a half to three years, and yeah, it's really fun. It's more of a sport that you like transfer into when you're older.
0: Why do you think that is?
3: Uh just because like it takes a lot of coordination and strength. So like after you've done some sports and in your childhood, then you come try it out, and it's easier to get into.
0: So, what initially drew you into the boat?
3: Um. Well, Janine Stevens, who's the head coach, um, was coming to schools and trying to recruit people. So she came to the school that my mom works at and she was trying to get kids for the 2017 Canada Summer Games. So my mom decided me and my brother should try it and we both tried it and really fell in love with the sport. Um, my brother quit, but I have stick- stuck with it, yeah.
0: And so your first, I guess, real big experience then would have been the games here in Winnipeg, right? Yeah,
3: 2017 for sure.
0: So what was, what was that introduction like?
3: It was kind of crazy because, I mean, we joined in probably we joined in the spring, right before the summer, and they just needed people. So I was named as a spare, and my brother was on the team, and so I was just crazy right into the twice a day summer practices. But it was really amazing to get that exposure.
0: And you stuck with it. What is the workout like for you, and how early do you have to get up to do it?
3: Oh, uh, rowing is probably one of the most physically demanding sports I've ever done, actually. Um, in the summers, we start practice at 5.30 in the morning, so that means getting up at 4.30 and leaving my house by 5 a.m., Monday to Friday, and then Saturday is typically a 7.30 practice.
0: I'll get to sleep in.
3: Yeah, so that's considered a sleep in.
0: <laughs> what time do you have to go to bed then?
3: Uh, nine sounds good, but sometimes it's just closer to ten.
0: So in terms of your summer social life then, you really don't have one?
3: Yeah, no, It's got to be, like, earlier in in the afternoon and stuff.
0: You mentioned you played other sports growing up. What were they?
3: Yeah. I did – well, I did do, like, dance when I was younger, but I quit that. My main ones have been hockey and soccer and, like, cross-country running.
0: And how did they help you row th- with rowing, do you think?
3: Um. Well, rowing is a very different sport than, like, the hockey and soccer, where it's, like, the racing versus, like, it's more of a team – playing together and making plays. But I think it really just gives you that endurance and, like, competitive attitude to try and win.
0: And you mentioned Janine Stevens, who was on the show last week. How much did her, uh, I guess, coaching prowess and her experience at the Olympics help you out?
3: Well, I mean, it was amazing to have an Olympian as our coach because she's, like, been in our sports like positions before she's gone through she went to some Canada summer games so she kind of knows what's going on and she gave some really good advice because you really know that she knows what she's talking about
0: now a few years ago you were diagnosed with cancer how did that affect your your childhood and really your athletics
3: yeah that was definitely a big full stop like uh stop doing the sports really focus on trying to get better and it it did it definitely wiped me out quite a bit, and it took a lot of work to get back to where I am today.
0: Do you mind asking me asking what uh, what you had?
3: Yeah, I had stage three ovarian cancer. It's a rare childhood cancer. Yeah.
0: And how long was the recovery?
3: I had three rounds of chemo, so it was like around every thirty days they would hit you with a round of chemo. So it was a few months.
0: Did that affect you? Your schooling too?
3: Not really. It was uh, kind of like the last month of grade seven. I was missing a lot of school, but I decided I would still write my exams, which was cra- kind of crazy. Did you, and pa- then, did you pass? Yeah, I did. Good. And then I finished treatment in late August, I think. Yeah. Okay. And then I just still had lots of checkups. So I did miss a lot of school, but it wasn't like I was missing months.
0: Right. And then how long before you were able to get back into sports?
3: Um well, I did play hockey the next season, but I had to play a level lower cuz I was just kind of like a lot, definitely a lot weaker than I was before. And I like found that I actually with the work, I bounced back pretty well.
0: And so how has that experience changed who you are today?
3: I think it's definitely given me a better perspective on things and just kind of a go-for-it attitude because you never know what's going to happen and just appreciate the small things in life and be like appreciative of the fact that I am able to do things.
0: And do you participate in fundraisers and whatnot for cancer as well?
3: Yeah. Um, we actually made a dragon boat team that's named after me. So it's a fundraiser in like September. It's like a dragon boat racing weekend. So we have a team entered, and we raise money for children's cancer research for Manitoba.
0: Nice. How important was your yeah. your family in getting you through that, and also motivating you now in the water?
3: Oh yeah, it was crucial when I was going through my treatment. Everyone was there with me every step of the way, and I have a really big family too. So that was definitely very helpful, and they've been super supportive and like driving me to practices and stuff, and getting, getting me where I need to be.
0: What's your end goal with rowing? Are you trying to get to the Olympics?
3: I mean, I'm just going to push myself as hard as I can. I mean, the Olympics would be amazing, but right now my goal is probably to try and obtain a university scholarship.
0: Okay. Do you you know what you want to to do in terms of a degree at university?
3: Uh, I think I'm really into sciences and stuff, so I think I'll – ultimately like med school would be pretty awesome just because seeing how like the doctors treated me when i was going through everything i kind of want to do that help people
0: well uh congratulations on your success at the western canada summer games and uh, best of luck as you go forward in your rowing journey
3: yeah awesome thank you so much
0: tune in to the cgob sports show weeknights from seven to nine with me christian omel or you can download the podcast on itunes it's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?